morning, everybody. Almost Happy New Year. Um, hope you had a good Christmas and uh, time with your family and celebrating uh, the coming of Jesus into the world, um, our Savior and our Lord. Um, Jesus is the founder of the church. The church belongs to him. The Bible tells us that he's the head of the church. And so in the scriptures, we unpack um, what is the church all about? Why does the church exist? What are we supposed to be doing? And there's individual responsibilities that we have uh, towards the church. And then there's a corporate responsibility that we have. And there's things that we should be doing. And, uh, and it's important that we know what those are and, and focus on them and, and remind ourselves of them from God's word so that we continue to accomplish what Jesus wants us to accomplish. And so we're starting the year with a series called Equip the Church um, in two weekends. So the uh, not next weekend, but the following, we're going to start a class during the 930 hour that I would ask you to strongly consider being a part of. You're going to have all the pastors and elders teach different weeks through that series. And it's really focused in on who we are as a church and equipping us uh, to accomplish the things we're supposed to in, in what God has called us to, what Jesus wants us to. Um, in Ephesians chapter four, we get some direction and instruction regarding the church. In verse 11 of Ephesians 4, it says this, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And so um, this is the uh, responsibility that leaders have in the church. And so as a pastor, uh, every pastor has different kind of giftings and primary giftings and the way God's designed us, the Holy Spirit determines that. And one of the giftings that I have and the focuses that I have as a pastor, as a leader is on evangelism. It's on reaching people that are not yet saved. And so whenever I lead and, and whatever I'm a part of, that kind of comes out and that desire and that emphasis. And so a big part of my life Every ministry responsibility I've been in is to equip the church to reach, um, reach out to people that are not believers and aren't saved. And so, uh, so this week we want to focus in on evangelism as a responsibility as followers of Jesus and also a responsibility for the church. And evangelism is really the proclamation of the gospel leading people to become disciples of Jesus. And so as a church and as individuals, as we're reaching out, as we follow Jesus, we reach out to the people that we encounter on a daily basis. Um, we're going to see in the scriptures that we look at this morning that that's the emphasis. There's an emphasis on if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, you are sent into the world to reach others, to share the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus and what he has done for you and for us. Um, this church, Mitchell Breen Church, as I've um, come into this church and studied and listened and asked the questions about the history of the church, the DNA of the church, the church was founded. The original group of people that started in Mitchell had this emphasis and this passion and desire, as I've been told, to reach their neighbors. That was really the purpose and the desire behind the church. It was to reach other people in the community. And so they started a church not just for themselves. Right? But they started church for the people around them, their neighbors, their friends, the people that they would interact with. They wanted to draw them in to be a part of the church, but 
to know Jesus and to have salvation in him. And so I think, as I have studied and looked at it, that's really the DNA of this church. It's, it's who this church is. It's who Jesus uh, kind of designed this church to be. Personally, I think every church should be that way, should have a focus on that. But this church in particular really had that emphasis. And so a church that is reaching out to people, filled with people that are reaching out to those that they live, work, and play uh, with. And so we really believe that you have arenas of influence, people that God has put you around. Those are people that you, uh, you live around, They're your neighbors. Everybody has neighbors, even if you live, as I joke, even if you live in Sioux County, you got neighbors, okay? Everybody has neighbors somewhere, someplace, you know some people, okay? And so those neighbors are people that God has put you in their life. You're not just their neighbors because you chose to live in that place or your family own, owns that ranch or that land, no. You are in the home you're in with a purpose. God's put you there uh, to influence those people and to try to reach them, at least share the gospel with them. How about where you work? For a lot of us, that's a huge part of our lives where we work. And so, um, so that's a place where we're around people a lot. And we build relationships, we get to know those people and that's an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And then where we play, we do a lot of playing as a culture, we recreate we have things we enjoy doing, whether it's our kids' sports or whatever it might be, that we're around people. Again, we're building relationships and we're there for a purpose and a reason, and that is to reach them. And so we have a community around us. And as a church, evangelism is directed at the community. It's what we do. My heart and prayer and just what I see God doing here and um, as an, an elders and pastors, we've talked about this and I really am hopeful that we can see an evangelism team and ministry start in our church this year and um, praying about that, that God would raise up a leader and that we could have a team of people that's really strategically and, and focused on um, sharing the gospel in our community. And that is growing. Pastor Luke is doing work down on East Overland and in that area, and there's evangelistic outreach happening and people coming to Christ. And so I know a lot of you are sharing the gospel with people and you live this way. You live on mission as you go throughout your life. But I wanna encourage you and equip you all to do it. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then really you're called to reach out to the people around you and not just be saved for yourself, but you're saved to help others. And so that's really, um, I, I've heard it talked about this way, that as Christians, we're not like a reservoir where we just take in the goodness of God and the teachings of the word and we just take it all in, but we're a river right? We're supposed to take it in and then it's supposed to flow out through us. And so the life that Jesus gives us is supposed to bubble out. It's supposed to flow out of us to the people around us. And so our church is called to make disciples and really disciple makers. Our mission statement is we're a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who preach the gospel where we live, work, and play. And so disciple makers are reproducers. And so, um, but, but begins by being disciples. And so this morning, as we look at the scripture and we look at this focus on evangelism, I know it's a tough one. It's a challenging one. Let me just say this. I thought about and prayed about it this week that this is one of those topics and issues that as Christians, what we can struggle with is this, that we have our own issues. We're trying to live for Jesus. We struggle to live for him and live in an empowered way. And it can seem so difficult to have the energy and, and the focus to, to reach out to somebody else and to minister to somebody else. That's hard. And so I think it can be difficult for us to think, to get to that place where we say, well, I could do that. You know, I don't have my life all together. I'm not sure I'm a good example. I don't know if I can do this, God. And so we can have a tendency to put this one on the back shelf or to say somebody else will do it. The pastor's supposed to do it. 
you know, that kind of thing. But the reality is, guys, when we look at the scriptures, to be a disciple is to be someone who is sent, who is sharing, who is preaching, who's carrying the good news to others. And so it really is to be a part of our lives. And so what I've found is when I'm focused on helping others, it actually helps my attitude, my perspective, and my own holiness and my own spiritual life grows. It gets stronger when I have an emphasis and a focus on others. We all know this tendency that when we think about ourselves and we're focused on ourselves, it's actually not good for us. We don't get better. And so um, thinking about others and helping others, I think is really a healthy thing for us. And so Jesus, in his last interaction, okay, as he spends his last few moments with his disciples, he hits on this mission for them. It's an important time. It's a crucial time that he has with his disciples. And it's his key followers. It's not just the 12. There's others there. But he gives them some direction for the future. And so the first thing we see in Jesus' interaction with his disciples is he gives them this mission that they're to accomplish. And so the mission is to make disciples. Let's read Matthew 28. This is our key verse as a church. It goes along with our mission statement. Um, Matthew 28, and uh, starting in verse 16, it says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountainside. They're headed to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Proof that seeing is not believing, right? Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Parallel passage is in Acts chapter one. And I'm just gonna read verse eight. And Jesus says this, Um, is the way it's recorded by Luke in Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I've heard it said and described that really in Matthew 28 when Jesus says go, an equivalent or maybe, excuse me, a little better way to say it would be as you are going, make disciples. And so we're really called as disciples of Jesus, as we go through this life, to get people saved, to share the gospel with them, help them come to Jesus. This should be a part of our lives. It should be a pattern of our lives, is this desire, this openness, this prayerful expectation as we go through each day that we're going to be able to share Christ with somebody. We're going to be able to work with somebody to see them come towards Jesus. Now, we have an incredible gift in a sense, in our world, in our culture. And that is that really a lot of people who grow up in America, and I would say especially in this region, have an idea that Jesus is the way. He is God. They have some idea, some knowledge of him. Now, Pastor Luke's run into some young people down in East Overland that don't know anything. They have no idea. And so certainly that is growing in our culture, a lack of an awareness of the gospel. And I've run into those people too in my life that just don't know anything uh, about Jesus. Never heard anything. But a lot of the people that we interact with have heard something about 
uh, about Jesus. Maybe they were in church as a kid. They have some kind of an awareness. And so really you're not starting from negative 20, trying to lead somebody to Jesus. You probably oftentimes are starting at a place where they have an awareness. And this is a, it's a good thing. It's an encouragement in a sense for us, even though a lot of people think they're saved. They think they're a Christian because they're an American. Um, that isn't true. It's not how you uh, become a Christian being born into a country. You become a Christian or a disciple by making a decision, as we're going to see, to trust in Jesus. But you have people that have a sense of that, have an idea. And so it's a starting point. Um, it's a place from which you can begin a conversation. Oftentimes, I've discovered that if you're open to just talking about your life and your relationship with God, um, that people are interested. They want to know. They don't know what to believe. There's lots of different opinions and voices. And so you become someone who has an awareness, a sensitivity, and you're like, hey, let, let me share what I've found, what, I, what the scriptures say, what the Bible really says about this stuff. And being able to do that, I think, is very important, a great privilege. And I think you'll find as you grow in this that people are open to some kind of a conversation, discussion about it. You may get some resistance. You may get some pushback, and that's a part of it. But we are called to make disciples, help people come to Jesus. Sometimes we uh, balk at this because it's difficult. Like I said before, we can kind of make an emotional decision as to whether or not we want to engage somebody else uh, in faith. Well, I just don't feel like it. I, I feel intimidated. I'm not sure I know what to say. And so we base a lot of our obedience sometimes on our feelings and emotions about it. And I would just say that maturing in Christ is moving past that to a place of obedience. I'm going to do this because Jesus is calling me to. He told me to make disciples. So how I feel about talking to people about Jesus isn't going to be my primary uh, decision maker, right, on whether I'm obedient or not. But I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to, I'm going to learn to just to do what God's called me to do and to share and to, and to live an open life where I can talk to people about Christ. Making disciples, helping people get saved is in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then baptize them. And so baptism, really, in this time, in this era, and it still is today, but it was entry into the church. It was your public declaration of faith in front of a group of people saying, I'm a believer, I've trusted in Christ. And so to get baptized was to become a part of the church. And so again, as we reach out to people in our community, we can use the church in a sense to help reach them, but we're really supposed to help them become a part of the church so that they can grow. The church is the vehicle. It's the environment where people grow in their faith. And then teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. Get them producing. Producing in their life. Growing. Not just knowing what Jesus said. He goes, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so the obedience to the commands is really what we're called to do. Certainly people have to know the commands. They've got to be taught. And then they've got to be helped and encouraged and challenged and kind of spiritually parented to become obedient. Um, we all know if you've raised children, um, it'd be great if your kids did what you told them to do just because you told them to do it, because they love you, right? Okay, thanks, Dad, for those instructions. I love you so much, I'll just obey. I mean, that's the way my kids were. They just obeyed because I told them, because they loved their dad. Okay, here's the reality. We don't just obey Jesus, because we love him, though that should be a big motivator, it helps, but we really need help in becoming obedient. We don't always feel like it. There are things about obedience to Jesus that we struggle with and battle with. You are blessed 
If you have somebody in your life that's really helped you, pushed you in a sense, parented you spiritually to help you be obedient. We find that without some kind of accountability, some kind of group that we're a part of, that's why the church exists, we are obedient to all the things that Jesus has called us to. And so um, it's so important that as a church and as individuals, we recognize this is the calling, to help people become obedient to the teachings of Jesus. And one of the things I've recognized, there's some things in the Bible that are kind of implied, but I've never heard them said. This great commission is the last commandment that Jesus gave. And so this is part of what we need to hold each other accountable to and help each other become obedient to. And so as a pastor, I wanna equip you and I wanna motivate you and help you understand from the scriptures, this is Jesus calling to us. It's his mission for us. You need to be a part of sharing the gospel with others. You cannot abdicate it to someone else. You cannot just make it my responsibility, okay? I mean, I love doing it. I'm called to do it. And yes, because I'm a pastor that has maybe that gifting, I'm gonna encourage you to do it. But I'm gonna tell you, you've got to be a part of the Great Commission if you're a disciple. Disciples, disciples, um, or making disciples is a part of the mission. It is the mission that Jesus has given to us. The last command that Jesus gave is a part of what we must obey. And so producing or, or making disciples is the mission. What we see next in the next passage I want to look at is that disciples are producers. We're, if we're a disciple of Jesus, we're going to produce in our lives. We're going to produce fruit is what the parable refers to it as. And that, can, that is a lot of different things. But disciples are producers. Let, let's look at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Back up a little bit from the Great Commission to um, some more of Jesus' teaching on the kind of people we should be. If we're following him, listening to him, responding to him, we're going to have a productive life. We're going to have a life that produces. And so Matthew... Chapter 13, I want to read a couple different sections of it. First, three through nine. This is Jesus teaching. It says this, he told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now the apostles or the disciples ask some questions and Jesus gives them some instruction on why he teaches in parables. But if we jump down to verse 18, he gives an explanation. He doesn't always do that with all parables, but here he does. In verse 18, it says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Verse 20, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. 
They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been, had been planted. The parable of the seed and the sower, Jesus' teaching on a response to his commandments, to his message, the message that he was preaching, the truth that he was presenting. And so the response We get a number of different responses here, but the the seed, he says, represents the truth. In this case, the message of the kingdom, and that's how Matthew presents Jesus' teaching, a presentation to the nation of Israel regarding Jesus as Messiah. But we know because of the, the book of Acts that the gospel spread beyond that. It went beyond the Jewish people to the Gentiles. And so the whole world is open and and can be receptive to the message of salvation. And so the first response is to this truth being proclaimed is they hear it, but don't understand it. And so it lands in them and the seed is planted, the truth. Anytime you share the gospel, you say anything about Jesus, you present some truth from scripture, that is a seed of truth that you're planting. And the person you're talking to, again, these represent responses that you could have to this and the people around you have when we share. But the first response is they don't understand it. Doesn't make sense. I mean, you and I have both, we've all known people that hear this, they sit in church maybe for years, they just don't understand. Doesn't make sense. Now what's interesting here is the devil's involved in snatching. And so what is it when we share the gospel? What are we doing? Are we just saying words? Are we just presenting truth that we're mechanically responsible for? No, it's a spiritual interaction. It's a spiritual interaction and the devil's a part of it. He's aware of it. And so if you live your life on mission this way and you're, you're evangelizing and sharing the, the truth of Jesus with people around you, know that you're involved in spiritual war and the enemy's involved. He's waiting and ready to snatch the truth away even as quickly as you share it. The second response is to hear it, receive it, but then fall away as soon as there's opposition to their believing. We talked on Christmas Eve last week, last weekend about Mary, and as we talked about her story, her saying yes to the will of God and his plan for her life, the next was to, um, to face that opposition. And, I, and we just know that anytime we set out to follow God and obey him, we're going to face opposition. And so this opposition is going to come. And we also probably know people that have trusted in Jesus and said, yeah, pray a prayer or, man, this is great. I need forgiveness. I need salvation. But as soon as they go out and somebody makes fun of them for it or their family says, what are you doing? You can't do that. Or their spouse says, I don't want you going that direction. They fall away. And so this is a reality of the spiritual battle and the response to the gospel. And uh, just, just having a response that doesn't stand up to every challenge is not what this is talking about. It's talking about completely giving up on the faith and just not following Jesus as a result of that opposition. The next response is to hear it, believe it, but the message is crowded out by the worries and cares of this life, the lure of wealth. So this person believes, they put their trust in Jesus and follow him, 
but I got to make a living. I've got to work. I've got to have a career, right? I've got to, I want to get stuff. I want to build a life. I want to enjoy this life. All those temptations come in. And this individual just gets consumed with that part of life. And they don't focus in on following Jesus, obeying his commands, living for what he says. And so they, they're a believer, they're a disciple, but don't produce any fruit in terms of multiplication. They're not sharing they're not being a part of the mission of God and it's because of what their heart gets drawn to. It's a challenge for all of us. We live in probably the most affluent world culture that's ever existed. We have the most stuff and we have the ability to pursue stuff, give our hearts to stuff. And the challenge here is, are we producing spiritual fruit? Because the next response does. The next response, the last one, which is good soil, hears it, believes it, puts it into action so that they, it, fruit is produced. And part of that fruit is a harvest. It's reaching others. It's multiplying. It's also fruit, that's spiritual fruit, a transformation in our own lives. There's a lot of different kinds of fruit that the Bible talks about, but one of them is reproducing. It's helping others come to know Jesus. And so as the church exploded in the book of Acts, um, they first began to reach people around them. As uh, Acts chapter one, verse eight says, they, they began to reach people in Jerusalem. They were exploding. They were excited. God was at work. The day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit filled them and empowered them. They began to preach. They began to share. And people were attracted into this group of people that were living on fire, motivated, a community of people that loved each other, committed to each other. Miracles were happening. God was at work. And so they were drawn into it and they were reaching thousands of people in Jerusalem. And then we see that Philip is called away to Samaria to interact with an Ethiopian, or to, excuse me, to preach in Samaria. And he begins to reach some Gentiles and some people that, um, that aren't necessarily Jewish and they're responding to the gospel in that region. And, and Jewish people, the Samaritans were kind of mixed, um, a mixed group. They were Gentile and Jewish in, in ethnicity. And so he began to see that. And then um, he goes uh, to Judea and the Ethiopian eunuch we see. And then he travels back to the north into Samaria again, but preaching the gospel in these regions, Samaria, Judea, which Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I mean, Israel was broke up into three regions. Galilee was in the north where Jesus mostly ministered. Samaria was in the middle and Judea to the south where Jerusalem was. And so they followed this progression. We see it build and the gospel spread. And then as opposition hit, persecution hit, Jerusalem the stoning of Stephen, the churches spread and some believers went far to the north, out of uh, Israel all the way to Antioch. And so we see in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were commissioned to go into all the world and they traveled into the Roman Empire and started to reach the Roman Empire with the gospel. This is the progression, expansion, right? This is the way Jesus designed it. It's what he wanted to have happen. And because he hasn't returned yet, we are still to live with this kind of mentality and motivation and have this kind of drive in us. And as a church, that we understand this is a big part of the reason we exist. And so the last thing that I wanna look at this morning is that disciples share as they go. And I wanna look at Romans chapter 10 for this one. Romans 10, Paul is describing the gospel itself and, and how it expands. And this really, I think, is where it connects for all of us. Romans 10, verses 9, starting in verse 9, 
The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is, with, it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God or justified. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And so the Romans road is one of the ways that we can share the gospel. Pastor Jamie used that on Christmas Eve. And uh, the Romans road, this is the final verses in the Romans road, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And it's a, it's a pretty clear description of how a person becomes a believer. You've got to declare that Jesus is Lord with your mouth, that declaration that he's the Messiah, the son of God, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You believe in the resurrection. And this is the faith by faith and making those declarations, right, is how we are saved. And then Paul goes on to talk about how this takes place in verse 11. He says, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Anyone. Verse 12, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We can share Jesus with anybody. Anybody can be saved. But now he talks about the responsibility that we have, how it works. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless, some, unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. God does the work of salvation. Salvation comes from him. It was initiated by him. He chooses uh, those who will be saved. He's a part of the whole process. It all comes from him. We didn't know we needed saving. He came to us and provided salvation for us when we had no idea, unaware, clueless, and unable to do anything about it. And so salvation comes to us from God, by God. It's all from him. And yet, church, <laughs> he has a place and a role and a responsibility that you and I are to fill in it. I don't quite understand why he's done it this way. We're very unreliable. We're very difficult to work with. We don't always live in obedience to him like we should. And so, and yet he has made us his plan A for the salvation of the world, the spread of the gospel. We are to participate in it. And so Paul says again, how does someone become a believer, how do they call on the name of the Lord for salvation? I mean, first they have to call on Jesus to save them. They gotta recognize that they need him, that they are stuck in their sin. They're separated from God. They're headed to hell for all eternity to be judged by him. How are they gonna find salvation? They need to know the need. And then they need to be told how they can experience the forgiveness of God. They're gonna call on him when they recognize their need, but first they've gotta believe in him. They gotta believe and trust who Jesus was, what he did. And then they, they must first be told about him though. They're not gonna believe in him and call on him if they haven't been told about him. Someone must be first sent to them. And I believe every believer is sent. You are sent to share the gospel. Not just your testimony, though that's a part of it. What God's done in your life is great. But you're sent to share the gospel. Who Jesus is what he's done, what their need is. 
It's not your responsibility necessarily to get them saved, though I think it's implicit in the Great Commission that we are making disciples. So we need to be good at it. We need to have skill in it. We need to have learned how to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we can't control the response as the parable of the seeds and the sower tells us. We can't control the response, but we can be faithful and we can be, um, we can be productive and we can be working at the work that God's called us to be a part of. And it really is a privilege to be a part of helping people come to faith. It's something that we should all be participating in. I would encourage you as we start the new year, there's one of the simple things that's just practical is create a little list of some people that you're going to pray for um, and pray for their salvation. No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So the Holy Spirit must draw people. You're not going to convince somebody to come to Christ, but you can participate in helping them. And, and so um, participate first by praying for them and, and having that desire that they would come to know Jesus and be saved. There are people all around us that are headed to hell for all eternity, and our opportunity is to share Jesus with them. And so prayerfully consider that. Pray for your own courage and boldness that you would be willing to step into those moments when there is an opportunity and speak the truth in love and help them understand Face the opposition and the, the rejection that you'll certainly experience, but also be a part of helping some come to faith. So create a list of people that you can pray for and ask God to give you an opportunity. I really used to be one that was looking and pushing for opportunities. I go through life thinking I had to kind of a, you know, address this and it's a little bit abrasive and confrontational and I've certainly done a share of that, but I find as I get a little bit older, hopefully a little more mature in this, that really what I'm looking for is an openness. I'm looking for an opportunity. They're all over the place. People all the time have issues and needs and hurts and struggles. And if you and I are just aware, we're tuned in, again, not just to our own issues, but theirs, we can share. We can step into those moments and encourage them and love them and present the truth. And you're not just going to see somebody come to Christ in a moment, though you may, but really it probably will take some time. Making disciples is a process. And helping somebody come to the point of trusting in Christ might take some time. I've seen it take years, but you can be a part of it. Are you helping them along the way? Ask God to give you opportunities. I promise you, if you're available and you're open and you're aware and you're looking, he will. He will bring people into your life. He'll blow your mind. He'll bring people to your front door. He'll bring people to you that'll ask. But first, we've got to be on mission. We've got to know that's why we're here and that this responsibility is so important. I want us to be a church filled with people who are equipped and who are on mission, have a heart for others, are motivated to reach the people around us, that just like those early Christians who founded this church, they wanted to reach their neighbors. And look what's happened. Clearly, that mission has been accomplished or it's, it's been worked on in each generation and my prayer is that we would continue. We have, a, we have a commission that Jesus has invited us into. We can participate in the eternal future of the people around us. But we must be willing, we must have a heart for them, and we must be bold. There's a group in a church called the Moravian Church. Our oldest daughter and son-in-law live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And it's one of the largest areas where the Moravian Christians uh, settled. And so as we went and visited them, 
it's always around Thanksgiving because that's when our grandson was born. So we go out there every year and celebrate Thanksgiving. But we started to notice that all these houses around had these kind of interesting stars that would hang from uh, a porch or whatever. And you'd see them. And we asked our kids, what are those? And they were like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And we said, no, they're all over the place. And so they started to see them. And so we started to look into it. And then as we drive past churches, we started to notice that Moravian, Moravian church, whatever, first Moravian church, all over the place. And so I looked into it a little bit. And uh, the Moravian church movement is the oldest Protestant movement. Began in the 1400s. Um, primarily German. And so that's something that some of us have uh, some heritage in. And, uh, and so interestingly enough, with the Moravian Church, along with the Royal Danish Mission College, the Moravian missionaries were the first large-scale Protestant missionary movement. They sent out the first missionaries when there were only 300 inhabitants in Hernut, which is the town in Germany where this all began. They sent out... Um, they began to sound out missionaries within 30 years. The church had sent hundreds of Christian missionaries to many parts of the world, including the Caribbean, North and South America, the Arctic, Africa, and the Far East. They were the first to send lay people as missionaries. The first Protestant denomination to, ser- uh, to minister to slaves. And the first Protestant presence in many countries. Now, ministering to slaves is an interesting thing, but there's a powerful story that is circulated in the Moravian church. And I heard about the Moravian missionaries when I was in seminary. We talked about them a little bit in a missions class. And um, they're powerful people. They, they would, um, as a group, they would sometimes, as a large group, go. They would take only what they had and they would leave. And they would go to another part of the world. And a group of them, they would get jobs, they would find a way to live, and they would share the gospel. They were just hardcore mission people. They didn't have to raise support. They didn't do any of that stuff. They just went and they made a life in the place that they went to and they lived among the people as the people and they led people to Jesus. There's an interesting story, kind of radical on this idea of reaching others and being sent into the world. Um, they're called the Moravian slaves. It's a popular story about Christian missions concerning Johann uh, Leonard Do- uh, Dober and David Nitschmann it describes how these two young Moravian brethren from Hernut, Germany, were called in 1732 to minister to the African slaves on the island of St. Thomas and St. Croix in the Danish West Indies. Allegedly, when they were told that they would not be allowed to do such a thing, they couldn't go minister to the slaves, Dober and Nitschmann sold themselves to a slave owner and boarded a ship bound for the West Indies. As the ship pulled away from the docks, it is said that they called out to their loved ones on shore. May the lamb that was slain receive the, war, the reward for his suffering. Um, the church throughout history has had to buy into this idea, this calling, this mission. It's a tough one. It's difficult in a lot of ways. It takes sacrifice. If you're focused on yourself, you're not going to do this. It's too hard. It takes too much. You'll be rejected. You'll be discouraged. You'll, you'll lose heart. <laughs> I mean, believe me, it's difficult. I feel like it's something God put in me from the time I was saved. Very young, I started to try to reach my friends. But I'm not saying I've done this perfectly or with uh, perfectly my whole life. And I have that internally built into me that I feel like God put in there as a gifting and calling. But it's hard. It's difficult. But I want to encourage you that you're called to it. And as a group, 
One of the things that happens as a group like this, a larger church, if we're all participating in it, some of us are going to see success and we're going to be encouraged by that. Because I'm encouraged when you have the opportunity to disciple somebody, to, to make a disciple of them, to help them come to Jesus. It encourages me to stay in it, keep after it. And when I'm able to participate in that, it energizes me and encourages me, and hopefully that'll encourage you. But we can encourage each other in this. It's, it's a big part of why the church exists and what we're called to accomplish. It's a responsibility to carry the good news to the world around us. And so I wanna do this before we take communion. Would you guys just stand up? I wanna do something, I don't know if you've ever been commissioned before, but I wanna commission you. You are called one. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then I wanna commission you, you're sent. Um, and uh, as you leave the doors, I know some churches have this on the way in uh, or on the way out, they say you're now entering the mission field. And it's really true. And so I just wanna commission you, um, if you would just bow your heads, God, I just pray for each person here. I know if they have trusted in you and they're a disciple of you that you've called them to go. And so I just wanna commission them to be sent into the world around us, to share the good news of Jesus, give them a boldness, give them a, a courageousness in their faith, um, fill them with the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with the people around them where they live, work, and play, the arenas where they interact with people, their family members that don't know you. God, give them a relentlessness to continue to share and to love and to encourage people into the kingdom. God, would you cause people to come across their paths that need to know you, that are looking, looking for the good news. And God, use them. And so, Father, I just pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.